Well, this morning we continue our series on worship. This is the last message in this series. And this morning we're going to look at the Lord's Supper or communion or the Holy Eucharist uh, together. Some feel that the church together celebrating of the Lord's Supper together is one of the highest pinnacles of worship that we can have here on earth. Uh, the Lord's Supper is referred to by different names. Uh, it's called the Lord's Supper here. Uh, it's called communion. Communion because as we take of the Lord's Supper, we're to give a picture of unity, that we are united together as a body. Sometimes it's called the Eucharist or the Holy Eucharist, and we'll see later that comes from the word to give thanks. He was a young pastor. He was right out of Bible college, and he was taking his very first church, and he was very excited. Little did he know what was awaiting him in this first church. Uh, while he was there, he discovered that the people in the church, and the leaders in particular, had lied to him. They had told him that he was voted in unanimously by the church. He would later find out that he was voted in by one vote over 50%. And someone in the meeting said, we can't call a pastor with that kind of vote, so I moved that it be unanimous, and then they voted on whether it would be unanimous or not, and that wasn't even a unanimous vote. So from his very first Sunday, he found that there were divisions there in the church of people who wanted him there as pastor and some who did not want him there as pastor. Uh, he had only been there a few weeks when he discovered that there were two sisters in the church that didn't get along with one another and that they hadn't spoken to each other in over a decade. Now, that's pretty hard when the church has about 35 people in it. It's hard to avoid uh, one another in the church. Uh, he also found that the, there were some very helpful ladies within the church who thought it was their duty to instruct others on whether or not they should be there or not. So, for instance, if you happen to sit in their pew, they would tell you, you need to get up and move. That pew belongs to me. They would also position themselves. This was back in the, the 70s, and those of you that lived through those years can remember that was kind of the hippie time, you know, the, the long hair, different style of dress, and so if someone new came into the church, these ladies would position themselves in the pew right behind them. And they would say loud enough so that they could hear, you know, if our former pastor was here, uh, he would have told them to go home. Go get a haircut before you come to church. Or go dress properly before you decide to come into church. Uh, they were also very helpful and uh, concerned for the pastor's wife, uh, even though the pastor was being paid beneath the poverty 
level. His wife was working to help uh, support the family, and one Sunday she wore a new dress to church, and a couple of the ladies informed her that she should not be wasting the church's money on something so frivolous as buying herself a new dress. The situation in the church, though a different set of problems than the problems that were in Corinth, would lend themselves to what the Apostle Paul says here. He says, in the following instructions, I do not commend you, says in verse 17, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. And down at the end of verse 22, he says, shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. The Apostle Paul says, there are sometimes it would be better that the church didn't meet together. Now, I know the story of the young pastor that I told you is true because I was that young pastor. And so uh, there were times as a church would have been better off that we stayed home rather than to come together. And I must say that even since then, I can remember Sundays uh, that it would have been better maybe if the church had not met than for the things that transpired to occur. And Paul is saying this is what was happening in Corinth. So as we consider this together, I want us to look at the problems that were there in Corinth, the problems that Paul is addressing, all of this in preparation for us to take of the Lord's Supper together this morning. So the first thing I want you to see of the problems is the divisions that were there. Notice in verse 18, Paul says this, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Paul says there are divisions in your church. Now earlier in the book of 1 Corinthians, he had talked about the divisions that were there over the different leaders that the people were following. Some were saying, I'm of Paul. Others were saying, I'm of Peter. Some were saying, I'm of Apollos. Some were saying, well, we just follow Christ. So they were divided over personalities. In this case, what we're going to see is they're divided over social status. So that the church is not united together, but separated because of divisions that are there. Secondly, I want you to see there was selfishness there. Verse 20, when you come together, it is not for the Lord's Supper that you eat. Let's pause right there. In the early church, they would have something that was known as the love feast. And they would celebrate the love feast before they took of the Lord's Supper. Now, the best way I can describe a love feast for you is there was like a church potluck supper. Everybody would bring some dishes. Now, in the case in Corinth, what would happen is the rich people would get there first. 
And they would either eat just what they brought, or they would eat just what those who were in the same social stratus with them, just what they had brought together. And as soon as they all got together, they'd sit down and they would eat. Typically, those who were the workers, the servants, the slaves, would arrive a little bit later because they had to work before they would come. So the rich didn't wait for the poor to get there. And the rich had plenty to eat. And the poor, sometimes coming directly from work, didn't have enough to eat. And they weren't sharing with one another. There was selfishness that was going on. Next, it says, so it's not at the Lord's Supper, but it's at this love feast. Remember, when the Lord's Supper was first initiated, it came out of the Passover feast. Jesus and his disciples were eating the Passover feast, and Jesus took the elements that were right there on the table, the bread and the wine, and he used that to institute the Lord's Supper. So it was only fitting that in the early church they come together for dinner together, all sitting around the table, and then they would go right in to the Lord's Supper. He says in verse 21, For in eating each one goes ahead with his own meal, one goes hungry, another gets drunk. So there they are, some have plenty to eat, and there are others who are still hungry. There's selfishness within the church. Next, notice there's drunkenness there. They're getting drunk right at the love feast, right before they take the Lord's Supper. That's a good way to prepare yourself for the Lord's Supper, is to just get drunk. Uh, so much for... Those of you who believe that Jesus turned the water into grape juice and that in the New Testament they only used grape juice when they had the Lord's Supper. When you can explain to me how in Corinth they got drunk on the grape juice, then you might have a chance of convincing me that it was grape juice and not real wine that they were used. Now, don't worry, I didn't substitute real wine for communion this morning. I'm not promoting the drinking of wine. I am just saying that biblically, let's not do gymnastics to try to turn the word into something that it's not. It was not grape juice. It was wine that they were drinking. And, and what we have here is they're getting drunk on it before they take the Lord's then there's a lack of caring. Look at that in verse 22. There we read this. He says, what? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? He says, if you're going to behave like this, why don't you eat and drink at home and not come here to church and do it? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? So they were actually humiliating their brothers and sisters in Christ, showing they really didn't care for them. The next thing that I want you to see, 
as far as a problem that existed there is later on down in the passage. And this relates to the Lord's Supper itself. In verse 28, Paul says, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the Lord's body eats and drinks judgment on himself. They were, there was a lack of self-examination. See, whenever we come to this table, we need to examine ourselves. We need to ask the Spirit of God to examine us. Because we can take of this table in an unworthy manner. And Paul says there in Corinth, there were those who were weak, there were those who were sick, and there were even some who had died because they had taken of the Lord's table in an unworthy fashion. Well, we looked at the problems. Now we want to look at the Apostle Paul's explanation concerning the Lord's Supper. Now, as we do this, as we look at this explanation, I want you to see that the Apostle Paul writes as if he was there present in the room. He received this by direct revelation from the Lord. See that in verse 23? For I received from the Lord. He didn't receive it from the other apostles or disciples. He received this directly from the Lord in re by revelation. And he says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks. That word for given thanks there is the word Eucharist. That's why the Lord's table is sometimes referred to as the Eucharist. It is the giving of thanks. So when the Lord initiated his supper, he gave thanks for the bread, he gave thanks for the cup. And so when we come together and celebrate the Lord's Supper, we need to give thanks as well. We need to give thanks to God. The word for giving thanks implies that there was, you are giving thanks for something that was done for you. And think of that. What was done for us? Jesus came to earth and went to the cross so that we could be saved. We give thanks for what he has done. The next thing I want you to see is we do this in remembrance. The end of verse uh, 24, he says, do this in remembrance of me. When he speaks of taking the cup, he says in verse 25, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. This is a remembrance. We are remembering what Jesus has done for us. We're remembering the cross. Isn't it interesting that God gave two ordinances to his church? Baptism and the Lord's Supper. And in both, they point us to the death of Christ upon the cross. 
That is how important it is that we recognize that there's no way we can be saved except through the cross of Jesus Christ. There's no way for us to ever enter into that relationship with God. Remember in our series we've been talking about the type of worship that God the Father is seeking is that which is a relationship with Him as Father. And we can only become the sons and daughters of Christ by receiving Christ, by putting belief in Him, and by trusting that what He did on the cross is our means of being saved. This we remember. Now, the next thing I want us to notice is the new covenant, the new covenant, verse 25. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Jeremiah chapter 31 and Ezekiel chapter 36 talks about the new covenant. The new covenant was originally made with the nation of Israel, and we as the church are grafted in to that new covenant. Well, what is the new covenant? What comes with the new covenant? First of all, it's new, it's different from the old. The old covenant could never save us. The old covenant of the law pointed out to us that we are sinners and that we cannot save ourselves. But in the new covenant, we get a new heart. God takes that heart of stone that was opposed to him and gives us a fleshy heart. We get the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The moment that we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, his spirit comes to live inside us and to dwell in us. And we also get a personal relationship with God the Father. The, new, the Spirit of God in this new covenant helps us recognize we are now in God's family and we are his children. And the cup, when we take of the cup, it is proclaiming the new covenant. And that's the next thing that I want us to see here, is that when we take of the Lord's Supper, we are making a proclamation. Look at it in verse 26. In verse 26, he says this, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Every time... You take of this cup, every time you eat of this bread, you are preaching a sermon. Every time we as a church gather and take of this supper together, we are all preaching a message to others. And what is it that we are proclaiming? We are proclaiming that we put our trust in Christ and in Christ alone. We are proclaiming that it is through his body being sacrificed, his blood being shed, that we are saved. And by our faith and trust in him, we're making a proclamation to everyone that our trust is in him and in him alone. And the next thing I want you to see is the duration. The duration. 
Verse 26, again, he says this, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death for how long? Until he comes. Until he comes. As a church, we are going to continue to celebrate the Lord's Supper until Jesus comes back. Because he is coming back. He is coming back for his church. And we are celebrating in anticipation of that return when the church of all ages will gather together and will partake of this supper together. But guess who will be at the head of the table? None other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we continue to do this. And we as a church will continue to do it over and over again because we need to be reminded and we need to look forward. See, in this, we are looking to the past. We're looking to what Jesus did for us. We're also looking to the future in anticipation of our Lord coming back. And we are preaching a sermon whenever we take of this, proclaiming that we believe in him and in him.